Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, may we stand up, please, in reverence to the Word of God. Prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to, to look at your Word, review your Word, listen to your Word, decipher your Word, um, open your Word, share it to other people. Thank you, Lord, for this freedom and opportunity. May you open our hearts and our mind uh, for the study of today, the message of today. Um, that you have led me through uh, to share. And this we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, first, I would like to welcome all the new members. Uh, welcome again. Um, and also would like to welcome, coming back, uh, our missionaries from the Philippines, um, Atifeli and uh, Fred Tanoa. Welcome back. As we read earlier about Matthew, and we, we have seen um, the Word of God saying, no matter what happens, the Word stays. No matter what happens, um, it, you know, God will be there for us, and He will continue on doing His promises and His fulfillment. Um, when when this study was um, or, or this particular message has this has been planned like a month ago with pastor and he asked me okay what do you want to share so I said uh, it's something to do with the word of God to continue on no matter what happens and we're going to look at it today in a macro level and then next week we will continue on as I put the message uh, more endurance for next week. We'll look at it in a micro le- level. Micro meaning the family. And because I had a, a really good challenge question from my daughter um, regarding that particular aspect. But today we'll be discussing something about, about on a macro level, what the Word of God is all about. And, and, and basically... To start, we need to know what are his plans. So what are God's plans? Um, you know, it, it's, it's so obvious in the scripture. We have many, 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 many scriptures that talks about plan. First plan. And you may react in God's plan and say amen. Because basically, that's what I see so far as to what his plans are. Jeremiah 29.11 We'll go through scriptures. What, what is his promise? He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's plan. Next, what's God's plan? 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in a safe place. He wants us to be protected from harm, protected from the enemy. Another plan. Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Did I say it right? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's the will of God? For us to give thanks all the time. To please whatever we have, whether it's not so good looking, good looking, just to, be, to, to give thanks. That's what His will is for us. Next, another in Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will that you be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality or any sin at all. Sanctification is His will to us. Protected um, from, from the enemies again. It's for the betterment of our, of our, of our, I mean, our lives. Next, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What is His will in this particular verse? What do you see? He wants us to have a forgiving heart. He wants us to be humble whenever we commit mistakes. He wants us to be at that level, not to be proud or have that particular pride when we do mistakes. Another plan in Micah 6. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act, um, justify, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your Lord. Humbleness. That's what he wants us to, you know, wants us to be. He wants us to be a person who justifies our acts of humbleness, and, and he requires that from us. Proverbs 16:4. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. The wicked for a day of disaster works out everything. He promises us to, to, to be protected. He promises us to have a proper life. If not, then the day of disaster will come. Now with all these things, another one, the last one that I have for now is Hebrews 10.36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. During the time when, when I was talking about this with Pastor Brent, and I didn't realize today is it's, you know, the weekend for Canada Day. And it talks about the government, talks about uh, the leadership. Uh, it, it will be talking about earlier, you know, the freedom that we have um, that Canada. It, it's amazing. And I just realized it now because the next ones that I'll be showing you are things that with all these promises of God, it's beautiful to see 
beautiful to read, beautiful to hear, and to understand. And yet, the response or responses of man and the government is against all this. It is sad because you will see how man's responses or responses are and also the government. What is man's response? Psalm 50, 17. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. The Word of God, the Bible, has a complete set of instructions to protect us. It has a complete set of, of uh, promises for us to be happy. It has a complete set of, of things to read through and understand better what life is all about. Go to Proverbs and then bless your heart with, with Psalms. But this is what man responds. Next, in Zechariah 7.12, sorry, they made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. They hardened their hearts. And sometimes we do that. The Lord is already telling us, don't do this. We harden our heart. We go our own way. That's the response we do. And then, too late. We either have already harmed another person, ourselves, and more more importantly, and most especially, the Lord, our God. I always believe that whenever we sin, there's always a teardrop in the Lord's eye that's coming up. Next, Romans. Man's response. For, for although they knew God, knew God, they already know who God is, they already have read the promises, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave Him thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the response of man. This is what we do at times when we, you know, would like to do something in our lives. And, and God has been warning us, don't do it. Don't go that way. But I want to go that way. And that's what our hearts are darkened for. Another response, Romans 1, 23. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of God oh, sorry, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles God presented himself through Moses, through the prophets through the word miracles, through Christ and yet the people or man would take an animal to worship, to look at the sun, to say, whoa, there's power in the sun. There's power in the moon, from the moon. Oh, there's something, a figure in the, in the stars. Maybe that's a sign. 
You know, that I would read my, you know, my, my future to, to those things. Um, or to a man, to a leader uh, in, in the, from the government. A leader from, from, from a church. And they glorify that instead of God, who is very immortal. Here it says, look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It's actually, if you look at it, it's more of a degrading thing. From a mortal man, birds that can fly, to any animals on the ground, and reptiles that are crawling. It's very degrading to do this, especially to God. Man's response again. First Thessalonians 4.8 So he who rejects this is not rejecting man but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He who rejects. Definitely so. The word of God has been rejected all the time. There's no doubt about that. But indirectly, it's actually not rejecting man. You are rejecting God. And worst of all, we are rejecting the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And that is something that we need to, to review all the time. Now, we look at the government, the leaders in our, in our um, you know, whom, whom we voted, in a sense, when election comes. Um, what do they do? In the Old Testament, it's not only now, that we see this, the rejection from the government or the rejection from our leaders. It's way back. Here, the oppression from Pharaoh. It's one of the things wherein Moses have warned Pharaoh many, many times that this is our God, give us freedom. And with so many things that's been done, with, with all the plagues and that's been shown, you know, uh, it says, in Genesis, in the beginning of Exodus, this is very much evident in Egypt, where Pharaoh initially resists, resists Moses when he asked, plea my people, or, you know, let my people go. We see in Pharaoh a hard-hearted totalitarian tyrant, resistant to submit even after several plagues that shows the power of God. Passover is a celebration that commemorates prophetic resistance to a totalitarian dictator and God's powerful deliverance of his people from slavery. It is a defining moment in the Old Testament. So even before, when God was presented to a leader, reject. I don't believe in your God. Still going to kill you all. Be, you'll be my slave. Even after so many plagues. Next, Gideon. He responded to the people, okay, that they were longing for a king. After Gideon's victory, the Israelites wanted to make him king and set up a dynasty so that his sons would continue the rule. But Gideon said, 
I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. This is in Judges 8.23. This is a good person. This is a good leader. He didn't want anything to do with the people's requests for him to build a dynasty. Um, I remember, and most probably you, you have heard, it's been in the news, from the Philippines when, when the Marcoses were still uh, in their leadership. I mean, he ruled the government for 21 years. And he started very well. I, I salute his intelligence. I salute his wisdom, in a sense. He was the first president who spoke to the U.S. Congress, Congress or Senate, with no, um, no guide to read, no, 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 not reading anything. Spontaneous. And it was perfectly said. But then, with all his wisdom, human wisdom, I know it because we, we did a study of him, and I was a student at that time. And, and what he did was to change governments, change the form of government to a parliamentary, to a republic, to a, 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 a democratic, to anything that can uh, be a favor to him. And with the instruction of the wife, um, they wanted to be a dynasty in the Philippines. They wanted to have that power within and control. And that's the way they wanted to be. They wanted to maintain in the power by being the king and the queen of the Filipino people. And it was sad. It was really sad because they started very well. They had a good heart to begin with. But the blindness of power and money had led them so many and far away from the Lord. So that's, that's what happened. Here Gideon refused to have that in, in approval or in acceptance. He said, no, I will not rule you guys. I will not rule even my sons or my, the family, the next generation. I will let the Lord rule you. Samuel, about his concern. He had a warning. He says, later when Samuel's son, his successors, became corrupt... See, that's one of the problems with the government right now. It's corruption. Corrupted mind because of power. Corrupted pockets because of money. Corrupted uh, lives with their children. But not focusing on the word of God. They deny the word of God. Put them aside. I have the power and money anyways. I don't need God. Became corrupt and resorted to taking bribes from the people. The Israelites again cried out for a king to judge them and defend them against warring nations. They wanted a king like all the nations in 1 Samuel 8.5. God told Samuel to, Samuel to listen to the people even though it meant a rejection of God's kingship. You know, that's sometimes what God does. When we keep on asking bad things, He will say, okay, you want it? I'll give it to you. Face the consequence after. Because we're so hard-hearted that we don't listen to God anymore. And he would say, okay, here it is. But there is a, a prepared circumstance for, 
or, or yeah, to, for, for that particular decision of yours. So Samuel told the people that kings would take their sons uh, for their armies, take their daughters for cooks and bakers, take the best of their fields, take a tenth of their seed and their vineyards, take their best young men, take a tenth of their flock. So it's a take, 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 okay? Eventually, he warned, you, you yourselves will become his servant, the king that will be appointed. Someone predicted that the king would take so much that you will cry out in that day because of the king whom you have chosen for yourselves. We have to be careful in the, with the person that we will be selecting to lead us and what we, are be, we need to pray for. We need someone who will lead our government that will lead us not only in a physical aspect but also in a spiritual aspect if we can. A leader who will pray and not reject the word of God or compromise, I would say. <coughs> Sorry. So, so that's what happened. Okay, God said, give them what they want. Appoint a king, but the condition will be like that. Take the man, take the women, take everything, even yourselves. And you'll be a slave, basically, at the end. Solomon. Solomon is a great king. I think we know that. He's been very popular. He's the wisest king, as they say. But then he made a lot of mistakes at the very end. The history of kings in the Old Testament reveals that most were, in fact, takers. Okay? Leaders, as we know, are takers. There's only one leader that I know of who's been giving a lot, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has given his life, who has given everything what he has, sacrificed his identity, and that's only Jesus Christ. He's been a giver from the beginning. But the human leaders has, has been takers. Even Sol- uh, Solomon, who started so well, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully. 1 Kings 11.6 He did not listen to the warning of the future kings. In uh, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, 16-17, he says, He shall not... This is the warning to the kings, not only to Solomon. Okay? He shall not multiply horses for himself. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. We need to realize the scripture, you know, as what Fred said earlier, the scripture has all the instructions to guide us. This is a guidance or an advice or an instruction to kings that do not, you know, multiply things for yourself because that's not what God wants. Yet Solomon did all these things even establishing centers for idolatrous worship, 
for his foreign wives, he also heavily taxed the people. Speaking about taxes, I hope, uh, well, I think here it's, it's still okay, in a sense. But at times you question, where does this go? And is it justified? But as we say, we, will, we can only pray for our leaders right now. And I'm not only talking about leaders in the government. I mean leaders in the church as well. And as we know, in some churches, and it's just saying an example, is that some churches have their leaders that are also corrupt. And they can buy um, jet uh, you know, airplanes for themselves and you can see them. But it, it's one of those sad things, again, that they do not serve God, they serve themselves. Rehoboam's uh, arrogance. After Solomon's death, his son, Rehoboam, am I pronouncing that well? Okay. It's, rose to power. The elders of Israel came to Rehoboam and pleaded that he might lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put, put on us. Meaning Solomon has put a lot of burden and taxes to the people. So the people were asking, Rehoboam said, can you please, please. But the king rejected the advice of his elders that he should listen to the people and took the advice of young friends who grew up with him. He responded to the elders of Israel saying, My father made your, your yoke heavy. This is in 1 Kings 12, 14. But I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whip, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Wow. How hard, can, uh, how hard of a heart could that be? And where is God in all these things, right? They did not respect God. This misjudgment led to the division of the kingdom and a rejection of Rehoboam's authority. Rehoboam refused to limit his power and greatly miscalculated, losing about half of his kingdom. The examples of Pharaoh, Samuel's warning about the dangers of kingship, Solomon's excess, and Roboam's folly are just a few examples from the Old Testament, demonstrating the need for government to respect limits of its power. We thank God for Canada because we're still given this particular freedom that we have. And we can still go back and say, no, you're limiting us. We need respect of what we're doing. Now, we go to the present time. Present governments. This is a statistics done, and it was, I think, just recently. In one of the websites called America, um, there's a group of ten, uh, ten countries where Christians face the most persecution. First on the list is North Korea. Christians and Christian missionaries are routinely imprisoned in labor camps. 
There was a, a history made, is it yesterday or this morning, or I don't know what the time zones now, that Trump crossed the, the DMZ. And he made history. Okay. But who are the Christians right now that's been killed, imprisoned? Can he do something about that? I challenge him for that in a sense. If he's saying that he's from the Americas and that he leads a Christian country, you can cross. That's a history. But what about these people? Second on the list, Afghanistan. The government of this Muslim country does not recognize any of its citizens as Christians. No recognition at all. Third on the list, Somalia. Uh, the Catholic Bishop of Mogadishu has described it as a not, not possible to be a Christian in Somalia. Next, Sudan. The Muslim government has slated Christian churches for demolition. Imagine if this church be persecuted and be, you know, to, 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 to take this down. I would cry a lot for sure. I mean, this is part of our lives. This is part of our family. Next, Pakistan. Christians and other non-Muslims sit on death row, facing charges of blasphemy. Eritrea. Only four religions are officially recognized. Sunni Islam and the Eritrean Orthodox, Roman Catholic and Evangelical Lutheran Churches. Those are the four. Those belonging to other faiths are persecuted and those of recognized faiths are routinely harassed by the government. By the government. Libya. The government is reportedly training militants to attack Coptic Christians. They're training people to kill Christians. That's basically what they have. Iraq. Iraqi Christians have yet to return to their homelands after expulsion by ISIS. Yemen. The ongoing political and humanitarian crisis has further squeezed Christians and other religious minorities who's already faced severe restrictions on practicing their faiths. Iran. Religious minorities, including Christians, face systematic, ongoing, and uh, egregious violations of religious freedom. And this is according to the State Department. But what's funny is that there's a caption at the end saying, not on the list of the 50 countries where Christians face the worst persecution is the United States of America. But is it true that now Christians are also indirectly persecuted in the U.S. and even here? Another list, the 10 most dangerous places to be a Christian. This is from the Open Door, which is a, a, a fully Christian-based organization. Again, North Korea, number one. This has been for 18th consecutive year on World Watch List. 
Afghanistan, where Christianity is not permitted to exist. Christians are are high-value targets in Somalia. High value. They give a price to Christians in in that place. Believers in Libya face deadly violence. Christians in Pakistan live with open discrimination and constant threat of mob attacks. Christian converts in Sudan targeted for persecution. Christians imprisoned in shipping containers in Eritrea. Believers in Yemen, especially vulnerable in civil war and famine. Illegal convert, illegal to preach in Iran. And this is an add-on, an unprecedented Christian persecution in India. It may seem so disappointing, may seem so sad for us, but it's a challenge. But the main message for this is that no matter what, they persecute Christians, they persecute the Word of God, the Word of God will continue on. There's no stopping. God promised. He will do it. He will do it. Actually, this is the present time. We read the Old Testament time, and this is the present. Going forward in Revelation, you will see one more. And that will be the ultimate abuse of power. So again, it does not stop. Persecution will always be there. We, who are not at this point in time, have to pray for these people. Have to pray for the missionaries that we have. And again, I, I, I did not plan for, for all this message because it was perfect timing for Canada Day in a sense. And it was a perfect timing for our missionaries to be back here with us. And I'm pretty sure they have faced some maybe not so tough of persecution, but there are persecutions also in the Philippines. Not much of you know, being, be, being you know, uh, hurt or something, but sometimes the emotional persecution, words of persecution. Perhaps the most dramatic usurpation of power occurs in Revelation 13, 1 to 10. In this vision, John sees a beast rising out of the sea and gaining great power and authority. One leader, seemingly resurrected from the dead, speaks arrogant words. He attacks believers and gains authority over every tribe and the people and the tongue and nations, all except true believers worship him. Some have interpreted this or have thought that this is about Rome, something like that. It may be, but actually it's, it's more of a future than anything else. Believers need to heed these biblical warnings about the abuses of government, 
but we're still left with a lot of questions. The Bible does not spell out exactly what government should and should not do. We need to pray to stay with our faith. We have to pray and endure as what God has promised that He will endure. He will continue no matter what. I do. Uh, I did hear stories about people in countries wherein when they are persecuted, they become more strong. They come back with a, a, a more uh, with a stronger belief in Christ. When you persecute the Word of God, you're not persecuting the person. You're persecuting God Himself. And imagine, if God is just there, one click, you're gone. In God's response, so we tackled God's plan, man's response, and then the government's response. With all these things that happened, or that is happening and going forward, that will happen, what is God's response back? John 3.16 Memory verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is his response. No matter how you hurt me, no matter how you despise me, says God, I'll still give my son because his intention is for all of us to be saved. Remember the first plan? For us, for all of us to be saved, but it's still up to us. And this is the ultimate proposal to us. Here's my son. This is the ultimate solution. The only thing for you to do is believe in, in Him. Follow His words and you will be saved. Everlasting life. But, this is an add-on. 17. For God did not send His Son, don't forget this, okay, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. It's not about condemnation, but it's more of a saving grace. That's why Christ came on the cross, be crucified, died after three days, resurrected. Don't forget the resurrection, because that's key to our faith. In one of the references that Pastor, sorry, Brent provided me. It's from Kevin DeYoung. It's entitled, Christ's The Unbreakable Bible. It's really, when I saw this, I say, whoa, that is something. And it's true. People have, you know, broken his heart, hurt him, 
thorns, whip. But Christ is unbreakable. The first question is that, what did Jesus believe about the Bible? If you are a Christian, it says here, by definition, you ought to believe what Jesus teaches. He is the Son of God. He is our Savior and Lord. We must follow His examples, obey His commandments, and embrace whatever understanding of Scripture He thought, He taught and assumed. Surely this means we are wise to believe about the scriptures, whatever Jesus believed about the scriptures. And if you are not a Christian, he says here, uh, Kevin DeYoung continues, I imagine you will still value what Jesus said. Virtually all people, even people of other religions, consider Jesus to be an important teacher. And I've heard this. I have some Hindu friends. When you mention Jesus and he said, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a teacher. And they, res- they respect him from that. And actually there are some of his words they use in what they believe in too. At the very least, they, least they, they believe that he was a noble man and a great prophet. So if you are investigating Christianity, or trying to figure out not only what Christians believe, but the foundation of everything they believe, this is one of the best places to start. Figure out what Jesus believed about the Bible. If you have questions about what the Bible is, the Word of God, which what promised God says will continue on, what did Christ say? And if we are Christians... What he says, we will believe. And what he says, we will follow. Right? I mean, that's how we figure out. We are, we say we are Christians. But sometimes there's a question as to, is the word of God going to continue with all this persecution that I read to you today? Yes, he will. That will be, that's a promise. So that's very key to when we study the scripture. And that is very key to where we should be. Again, going back to Matthew, before we take the the Lord's table, Matthew said again, 34, 36. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, never, never pass away. No one knows, okay, about that day or hour, whenever this will happen, that the earth and heaven will pass away. Nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor Jesus Christ himself, nor the Son, but only the Father. Because if you link to the promises of God, if you link to the the 
plan of our Father to each and every one of us, His plan is really for us to be saved as much as we can. Can you go back to that picture? I always use this because it reminds me of God's response to the, the you know, to, to God. This is His response. This is His response. And the last picture would be an empty cross. We don't stop in the picture wherein he was shown to be punished and, you know, would, would all bloodied up. No, we don't stop there. Because the promise is for him to be resurrected, and he did. And that's where our faith holds on. I hope that you were blessed and pray and hope that you were blessed about the message of today. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our uh, missionaries especially for where they're going, they're, where they are assigned. If you, if you know that they've been persecuted, please pray for them more and more and more. Because no matter what happens, the Word of God continues and that's what we're holding on to. Next week, we'll be looking at this in a macro, micro level that will deal with families to the structure and the responsibilities of both husband and wife. I don't intend to pick on men, but I will only be picking on the responsible men, I would say. And because that's how the Word of God will endure and He will show us, it will endure no matter what. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless.